Uh, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 6, page uh, 762 on the Bible under your chair. Now, the, the children of Israel were in slavery for 400 years, and God sent them a deliverer in Moses. And through a series of miracles and battle of the gods, God brought them out, but they didn't quite get to the promised land. They grumbled, they forgot God, and so for 40 years they wandered in the desert. And then they're getting ready to go into the promised land. A new leader uh, has, has come along, Joshua, and they crossed the Jordan River, and God instructs them uh, to take stones from the river and to set them up. And he says, when your children ask what, this, what these stones mean, tell them what this means. Uh, I don't have any stones for you today, uh, but I got something better. I got hats. Uh, so when you leave today, if you'd like a hat, if you're a hat wearer, I think it's pretty nice, pretty slick. I don't know. what the, uh, We have hats that will be at the, at the back as a way of remembering what God has done. Or, or you can just have a hat because you like the hat. That's fine. Uh, so we have a hat. Uh, so that is our memorial. Okay. All right. Plus they're, they're just nice. All right. So Acts chapter 6, we have been going through the, uh, the book of Acts from the beginning and looking at how that first church what they did and seeing if there's things that we can learn, if there's things that we can, can take away. And, I mean, there's something within us, I think if you are a thinking Christian, that you, you long for the days when this was pure. Like before the church was infused with power and the politics got involved or before the church started copying best business practices. You know what I'm talking about? When it was holy. And so we look back at the uh, at the New Testament church, and we get this idea that, man, things were awesome. And what we've come to so far in the book of Acts has been pretty awesome. We've seen things like every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together. All the believers were in one heart and mind, and with great power, the apostles continued to testify. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. They were highly regarded by all the people. More and more men and women believed. And then, uh, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Like, I want to be part of something like that, something where, where God is, is moving. And uh, it's like this idea, we want, just want to get back to the good old days. It reminds me of, uh, is that, what's that, 21 Pilot song? Wish we could get back. How's it go? <laughs> Turn back time. Did the good old days. Did, did. That's all I know. That's all I got. <laughs> And you're like, thank you. I'm glad that's all you got. Uh, Acts chapter 6, you should be there by now. It'll be also be on the screen. Verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, that's a good thing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, those were the disciples of Jesus, gathered all the other disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert from Judaism, to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, right off the bat, we see that it wasn't so perfect. Uh, when I was growing up, 
we moved around about every five years or so, and not just to a new house, but like to a new city, new state. Uh, first five years was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The next five years um, were, was in Zion, Illinois, which is just north of Chicago. So my memories uh, of those days were like my first Cubbies game. That's a good memory. Down on the Cardinals. Uh, I know you got some Cardinal fans in here. I'm not making eye contact. Uh, my first uh, Chicago Bulls game, 1989. Michael Jordan, before there was a statue, before they, uh, before they won any championships. Uh, and then when I was 10, we moved to central Illinois, Bloomington, Illinois, for middle school for about five years. We were there, and that's, I had my first job mowing lawns, uh, started playing sports, started to recognize uh, the opposite sex. That's what happens in middle school, right? Uh, but when I, when I look back at those times, like, man, that was, that was the good old days. Like, those were good times. I have good memories. It's like an innocent time. If I could just get back there. Oh, I've been back there. It's not so good. Like, when you go back as an adult, it's not as, it's not as good. And when uh, we have this picture of the New Testament church, and it's, it's just on fire for God, and people are coming to Jesus, and, man, it must have been awesome. And it was. They had some issues, and we see that in Acts chapter 6, just in these couple verses. Um, so there's two groups that are mentioned here, the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews. Now, the Hellenistic Jews were um, Jews from the, what was called the Jewish diaspora. And the diaspora happened about 600 years before Jesus. The, um, the Babylonians, an evil empire, came in and invaded Israel and carried off a lot of the Jews, and so they were di- dispersed after that, diaspora. And, and so when they were dispersed among the other nations, they still uh, followed the Old Testament, they still had the, the Hebrew Scriptures, but after hundreds of years of being with people from other cultures, other languages, things, things begin to change. And, and so uh, even the, the term Hellenistic, some versions of the Bible say Grecian, uh, these are, are Jews who primarily spoke Greek, like they were the uh, Greek people, and so they'd been infused a little bit with the, the Greek culture. And then you have the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews, they were the natives. They were the people who had, had lived there. Their first language was Aramaic. Um, they, they probably knew Greek because it was a common language then. But, um, and, they, and so you had Jews from the diaspora who had come to Jerusalem. And especially as one got old, it was something honorable and to be de- desired to die in Palestine to, to die in Jerusalem if you were a Jew. Um, and so you have maybe first generation, second generation Hellenistic Jews who have moved back to uh, Jerusalem. And this is where the scene unfolds, Jerusalem. And so the Hebraic Jews, they're native. And because of that, they're the ones with power. They're the ones with agency. They had property. They had uh, connections. The Hellenistic Jews, not so much. They didn't have power. They were, they were immigrants. Um, and on, so we have an, an urban social problem in Jerusalem spills over into the local church. Now listen to that. An urban social problem of Jerusalem spills over into the, the local church. Why? Because the church was made up of both cultures. Both of them were present in the early church. And so my question today in our remaining time is can the gospel... Uh, that has the power to save different types of people also have the power to knit different cultures together into one unified church? That's the question I want to ask today. Can the gospel that has the power to save different types of people also have the power to knit different cultures together into one unified 
church. Now, here's the thing. Any, any growing church is going to have growing pains. I mean, this New Testament church, they went from 120 to multiple thousands in just the course of a few weeks. Like, it didn't take, so you can imagine there was some, uh, some struggles there. And, um, and Luke, he paints this picture in the first couple chapters of Acts of this beautiful family-like community where if somebody was in need, some, another person would go out and sell their property and be able to distribute it. So you're thinking, oh, man, this is awesome. But they, they had issues. Um, and as a, as a church, if we want to be a church that reflects heaven, a church that has people from all different cultures, all different backgrounds, when you start um, hanging out with people who aren't like you, who don't vote like you, who don't, uh, well, we can just stop right there, don't vote like you, you're, you're going to have some conflicts. You're going to have some, uh, some misunderstandings, and there's going to be some, some tensions. And the deeper we move into community, the more difficult relationships become. Because we get to know each other. And so instead of just being surface high by how you doing, we're getting to know each other. And, and so it's harder to, uh, I mean, we begin to care about people. So when they do hurt us, it hurts even more. Right? Uh, right? I got in that chair. Thanks, Tabitha. All right, she's with me. Um, so even a church led by the ODs themselves. You guys know about the ODs? Original disciples. <laughs> I mean... My wife is shaking her head at me. I don't know. I thought that was good. Uh, even, even this church led by, I'll just say disciples, that were, thank you. <laughs> she said thank you. Uh, even that church, these, these guys who studied at the feet of Jesus and were with Jesus, spent time with Jesus, if they had problems, if they had some disagreements, you can guarantee that we're going to have some struggles here at the Hills Church. Uh, you don't have to amen on that, but... Uh, <laughs> So as we move into our second year as, as a church, my, my first takeaway from this text is that we have issues. We have issues. We, we haven't arrived. Just because God is moving doesn't mean the church is perfect. And you've, you've got issues. Like I've gotten it. I'm not going to try to make any eye contact here. But I've gotten to know some of you. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. You've got issues, right? Now, Elora and I are married. That's, maybe that's all I got to say, right? <laughs> if you're married, you know, like we, we've got issues. And, um, and you would, no, you probably wouldn't be surprised that the thoughts that like, come into my mind, and I got I to gotta push them along because they're not God thoughts, and I don't want them to, to roost in my mind. And, and just a, a real simple uh, example of that. You've been driving down the freeway, going the ideal speed limit, five to ten miles over. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's in that, that sweet spot. Um, and you, somebody's, somebody comes flying by you, right? And like makes your car shake and they're weaving in and out down. And I don't, I don't remember where I was, uh, but that, had hap that happened to me. And, you know, you say some things, some choice words about the person as they drive by. On this one particular instance, uh, about a, a minute up the street, the car was pulled over. The red and the blue going behind it. And in that moment, I was like, oh, sucker. They got you. I mean, that's probably not a Jesus-type thought, right? And so we, I get these thoughts. I try to send the bad ones on, take the good ones, send the bad ones on, send the bad ones on. Take, like, I, I've got issues, right? And so as a church, we bring all of our issues together. We're going to have uh, some issues, um, so we're, but we're in progress. 
We're people in progress. We're a church in progress, and God isn't done yet. God isn't done with us yet. And so in Acts uh, chapter 6, we see two cultures are at odds with one another. And the reason is because one culture is being overlooked. But they didn't just throw up the deuce and be like, we're out of here. Because they, they had found something. They had found a community where they had been embraced, where they had been loved. And so instead of just throwing in the towel, what did they do? They protested. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained. The King James says they, there arose a murmuring. Another version says there was rumblings of discontent. They protested. And this was a crucial moment in the, in the entire movement of God. Because uh, I believe we, we have an enemy. Now, I'm not, I don't believe there's a, a demon around every, every bush, but I do know that Satan is real. And he knows that if he can, can bring division into the church, he wins if he can bring division. And so uh, this was a moment of uh, like a crossroads for the church, how they were going to respond to this. And last week we said that, that we need to be in an accountable community, hold each other accountable. And so we have uh, the Hellenistic Jews are holding the leaders of the church accountable for how they were being treated. They, like, hey, don't forget about us. Look how we're being treated. Now, before we look at how the leaders responded, notice what they didn't say. Notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, you know what? All widows matter. Hmm? Did they, did they respond with all widows matter? No, that's not. Of course all widows matter, but that's not the point. The widows are saying, we, I am not being heard. I, I have no control over my future. So imagine if, if we're sitting around the table and everybody's being served a meal. But when it comes time to eat, everybody has food except me and you. And if I protest and say, hey, uh, I'm still hungry. I didn't get any food. And the other people at the table say, yeah, all food matters. Well, that's great, except I'm still hungry. I haven't been served yet. Ooh, stay with me. Um, so it's only when the Hellenistic Jews protest is there any change in the situation. Only when they, they protest is there any change. And only when they step on a few toes, only when things get a little uncomfortable like they just did in here, uh, was there any progress. And I wonder, I mean, if there's any parallels today. I mean, the Bible is pretty outdated, just 2,000 years ago. I mean, two cultures, one culture that's had privilege, one that hasn't had. Nah, that's, that's, we should probably just go on. Jesus commanded us to take the good news to our neighborhood to our city, to the ends of the earth. And if we're going to be a church for all people, we need to be aware of inequities. We need to be aware of inequities in our neighborhood, in our city, in the system. Uh, so let's I just put a few numbers up here on the screen for you just to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, now, racial minorities uh, make up 37% of the general population, but they make up 63% of unarmed Unarmed people killed by police. Now, I tried to find reputable sources. I'm going to show you a few numbers. Um, and I've worked for the government, so I know you can take a number and make it say whatever you want. Right? You can spin it. Um, I don't know how you can spin that. I don't know how you can spin that number. Uh, 
black people are much more likely to be arrested for drug-related crimes. Well, that's because black people use more drugs. Huh? Here's, let me show you. I got a little graph for you. Uh, thanks. So it's a couple years old, but 2013, there was a survey who used, I mean, negligible both difference and who users. But when you look at uh, drug-related arrests per 100,000 residents of each race, you see uh, black people three times more likely to be arrested for the same type of behavior. Now, uh, some of these, so I got this, this graph you can see from uh, Vox, and I, the rest of the article, they, they made some, uh, some clarifications. And so they said some of these disparities are explained by socioeconomic factors, such as poverty, unemployment, segregation, neglect by the police when it comes to serious crimes that lead to more crime and violence in black communities. As a result, police tend to be more present in black neighborhoods and therefore may be likely to take policing actions from traffic stops to arrests to shootings in these areas. Even so, after a review of the research, uh, the conclusion was that the higher crime rate only explains about 60 to 80% of black overrepresentation which means there's up to 40% of racially disparate rate of imprisonment is attributable to other factors, including racial bias or past criminal records. Basically, there's other factors, but you can't get away from that. You put all these factors in there, and there is an issue. So, I mean, speaking of, of prison, in 2016, blacks represented about 13% of the U.S. population sentenced to prison, while whites accounted for 64% of adults, but 30% of prisoners. African Americans are incarcerated at more than five times the rate of whites. And you know what happens when you get a criminal record? It's hard to get a job. It reduces callback by about 50% across the board, and even more so if you are black. Uh, I'll keep speaking. All right. I got one more. I like it. I like it. How about, how about wealth? How about wealth? I got a graph. I think we got one more graph. Median household income by race, ethnicity. Uh, so let's see. Non-Hispanic white. That's my category. In case you're wondering. Uh, Non-Hispanic black. Hispanic in between. 2015. Just, and, and I haven't even talked about abortion, the black genocide. For every 1,000 black births, there are three to 400 black babies aborted. Genocide. So this, this is very basic information. Like, I'm not doing deep analysis here. Um, I, I just want my white brethren and sisters, to know that we, we need to know a little bit of background so that when we see people protesting, raising their voice, taking a knee, that we don't, um, and when we hear people saying our widows are being overlooked, we don't just stand by and do nothing and say all widows matter. Uh, now this is real talk, Right? And like, uh, Andy happened to see my notes before service. He's like, you're not doing a softball service today, are you? That's not softball. <laughs> <I'm> like, no. 
we are, we are not. What time? Am my time up yet? A couple more minutes before I find my seat. Uh, uh, if, if I was not in this church, if I was not in this neighborhood, I would probably be saying, all widows matter. Why? Ignorance. Not because I set out to, but because we have walked in community, because we have shared meals together, because I've heard some stories. It's, it's more than stats, it's faces and people and friends, people that I care about. And that is the power of a multi-ethnic church, people from different backgrounds coming together to worship our Savior. And this last year has changed me. And I hope in some way you've been changed and that you will be changed and that we're just getting started as a church. So, amen. Thank you. Now, when the Hellenists protested, the, the Hellenistic uh, Jews, the leaders acted. Thanks, Armani. Appreciate that. I'll be all right. The leaders acted. Now, we're not told why the widows had been overlooked. We're not told, was it a racial thing? Was it a systemic thing? But they were overlooked was the point. Um, and so we've only made it through one verse. I've got to hurry. Verse 2 says they gathered together all disciples. It wouldn't be, they said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Choose seven men who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And so it is imperative that those with agency act, take action when, when there is a, a protest. And, and so the, when the disciples, when they hear this, uh, their response was, you know, this, this is an issue. But we are at capacity. As, as, uh, as a, the disciples were like, as a preacher, I'm supposed to be taking this gospel to the ends of the earth. Like, we can't do this, but what we should do is raise up some leaders from within the church uh, to minister in the church. Um, and so my second takeaway, take and I'm going to finish up in about five minutes, is that as we, we enter our second year, is that we are in this together. God calls us to minister to one Another, and he calls different people to different ministries. Uh, but in this text, in, this, in these verses, whether, whether it was more of an administrative, helping the poor, or whether it was preaching scripture, both are called servants. Both are called ministers. Like, where, did, where does it say that? I'm glad you asked. Uh, let's see, chapter 2, chapter, uh, verse 2, verse 4. It says, uh, it's not right that you give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then the next one says the ministry of the word at the end. Now, serving tables is basically a euphemism for uh, where the money was collected. That's how they distributed uh, to, the, to the widows and those in need was at the table. When Jesus said he went into the temple and turned over the money tables, like that's where the business was done. And so it wouldn't be, neglect, it wouldn't be good for us to, to serve tables. We have to give ourselves to the ministry of the word. Uh, in, in Greek, it's the same word, just one is a noun and one is a verb. And the word is for serving. So yeah, basically what 
the apostles are doing are like, we, we can't do this. We've got to do uh, the, the prayer and the ministry, but the serving the word. But there are others. We all have to raise up leaders that can, can serve the tables, can do the other work. And so um, my point is that all Christians, without exception, are called to ministry. And it's not a hierarchy of higher, better callings, right? It's like, I have a better calling because I'm called to do this, where your calling is not quite the same because it's not preaching. It's in some different capacity. Um, but I'm thankful that at the Hills Church, we are forced, we have been forced to equip, to equip people to do the ministry that God has called them to do because uh, no one who is part of our, our core team uh, does this full time. Like two days a week, I, have, I go out of town, I work, make the money, uh, come, come back. Um, you're like, what does he do out of town? That sounds shady. Uh, <laughs> how can he afford to live on just working two days? That's not, I'm not going there. Uh, but, uh, and everybody else works full time. And so the reality is, is that it's a blessing and a curse that I work part time doing something else because it, it forces you not to be reliant on me for everything. Because that's not what God intended the church to be, just a few religious professionals dispensing spiritual goods to the masses. But a church where we are all ministering to one another. And, and so as we go into year two, our team, what we're trying to, the, the question we want to answer this year is how can we raise up leaders for, for not four Sundays, but also for Mondays through Saturday? Like what does it look like for us to raise up leaders and so that, like I'm, I'm with the the apostle, like, I can't do much more. Like, I, I'm, at, I'm at the end. Like, you know, I'm holding on. Like, we try to make it a year. We're here. I don't know what's happening next, right? Um, and so let me, let me encourage everybody, when it, when it comes to ministering to one another, a good place to start is in our meetups. Uh, our meetups are what we call our small groups. We meet in coffee shops. We're kicking them off a week from uh, next, next Sunday, our, our fall uh, meetups. And basically... Uh, it's on, if you've got a bulletin, they're listed in there. So whether you've been following Jesus for a short time, long time, we get together, we pray together, we encourage one another, we laugh a little bit, uh, we, we read scripture together. And so in that, we begin to minister to one another. It's where in the Hills Church that we can be known is in our meetups. And so we've, uh, we, we're actually starting, uh, we'll have three guys meetups, three ladies meetups going. We'd love to expand those. Uh, so check those out. But uh, is my five minutes up yet? All right, one, one uh, that's, I'm almost done. Verse, verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, I'm not going to read the names again. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Now, uh, many scholars have observed that all seven of these names listed are Hellenistic names. All seven listed are, are Hellenistic names. Um, it's likely that they were Greek, and I don't think that was accidental. Uh, and those from the marginalized group were given power and agency, and they were elevated within the group. And uh, they weren't elevated because of a quota. They were elevated because they were qualified. Hmm? They weren't elevated because of a quota, but because they were qualified. These were men that were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that were elevated, and they oversaw this new ministry, even the distribution to the Hebraic widows. So those who had been marginalized uh, were lifted up to oversee the ministry uh, for the church in this capacity. 
And if I could press this a bit further, no Hebraic Jews were promoted. And that's hard if you're Hebraic and accustomed to being in a position of influence. Uh, (laughs) Don't have time to unpack that. Let me just plant a, a seed that there may be a time when for the sake of unity and what God is doing, that we have to step back. Those who have been given power and agency may have to take a back seat for what God wants to do here in our neighborhood and in our church. So, and it, it wasn't, I mean, the Hebraic Jews weren't promoted not because they weren't qualified, but because something bigger was at stake. Something bigger was at stake. And, and the result of the apostles' decision was unity. We just read in, in verse 5, it says, this proposal pleased the whole group. And then what was the result of a multicultural church being unified? And we see that in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. When the church was unified, when the church was unified, it was unstoppable. There was nothing that could stop the gospel from going forward. And the gospel has the power that can save us where we are in our different cultures, and it has the power to bring us together into a tight-knit, Christ-focused community. And, and, and my prayer for this church as we enter year two is that God would continue to unite us, We'd be a church that continues to reflect the neighborhood and that we would be one. And it's not just my prayer. As I conclude, this is Jesus' prayer for his church. This was Jesus' prayer for his church. In John 17, Jesus prayed that all of them would be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I in them, you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And when we are unified, the world will know that our Savior is alive. Amen.